Morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to the June 2020 Appomattox Integrated Intensive. This is our second completely online intensive. Uh, we're still working out all the glitches, so I apologize for any difficulties you've had connecting. Uh, but I hope you're well and taking measures to be safe. And just to clarify, uh, we will have the morning walk at 8 o'clock starting at the southeast corner of the golf course at Red River and 38th and a half. Uh, so we hope you'll give yourself fully to this intensive experience and please let us know if you are experiencing any difficulties. Uh, both Lori and I are available by email as well. But I will be offering practice discussion between 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock every afternoon. And I will set that up. Um, the way to sign up for practice discussion is to go to the Appomattox webpage. And on, under the calendar link, you'll see practice discussion is one of the calendars. If you click on that, you'll find available appointment times. And you can make an appointment. And the... Um, uh, the um, appointment calendar shows which times are available. So just sign up for any one of those times. The URL is the same as it is as my regular URL. So it's tinyurl.com slash Appomattopeg. So it's easy to remember. Okay, it's great to see everyone and I'm so glad that you made it. And um, <clears throat> Uh, we are going to be talking this through this intensive about the relationship between the Four Noble Truths and the Brahma Viharas, which have been, of course, the center of our practice period. So, <clears throat> uh, I'm sorry, may I interrupt one second? Yes. Could you please, um, I think your, your screen is a little blurry. Oh, uh, so should I refocus? Yes, thank you so much. Is that better? Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. You know, we're, we're gifted to have wonderful monitors who are checking up on everything for us. So, uh, yes. So we've been teaching through the practice period on the Brahma Viharas, which are loving kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity, and practicing them in the way the Buddha taught, simply radiating them as we sit in meditation. <clears throat> in this intensive, we'll connect the Brahma Viharas with the core teaching of the Buddha on the Four Noble Truths. They may seem like two different teachings, but in fact, they're intimately related and depend on each other. I've depended for this talk on three resources. Uh, one is a book called the In the Buddha's Words, which was edited by Bhikkhu Bodhi, and it's a translation of some of the Pali Canon teachings of the Buddha gathered together. <clears throat> The Connected Discourses of the Buddha, which is a volume translated by Bhikkhu Bodhi, also in the Pali Canon, and Gil Fronsdale's excellent talks on the Four Noble Truths. <clears throat> so according to traditional texts, the first discourse of the Buddha following enlightenment was the teaching on the Four Noble Truths, or the Four Truths realized by the Noble Ones. Scholars seem to have a range of opinions about this teaching. Some argue that these teachings were a later interject into the discourses. <clears throat> Some believe that they were not central but peripheral in the Buddha's discourses. But the Buddha made many, many references to them in his teachings and used them as a set of defining criteria for awakening. 
And over the millennia since the Buddha's discourses were first recorded, the Four Noble Truths have come to play a central role in the teachings across all schools of Buddhism. They've been endlessly debated, discussed, and applied to every imaginable life circumstance, from the individual to the larger society. The Pali expression for these truths is Arya, <clears throat> which means the noble ones. In the Buddha's time, it was a class of people believed to be superior to the other classes. But the Buddha recast this designation, claiming that those who had become enlightened were the true noble ones. <clears throat> so the title of this teaching actually means four truths realized by the awakened ones who are ennobled by that realization. So what was the occasion of this discourse? <clears throat> the Buddha is addressing a group of five monks who had attended him during his ascetic practices and left in disgust when he finally took some food to sustain himself. He's just about to die. <clears throat> he sought them out after his enlightenment, but they were doubtful of him since, of course, he had abandoned the severe ascetic practices that had almost killed him. So he'll deal with their doubts first when he first encounters them. Here's how he began this teaching. Monks, these two extremes should not be followed by the one who has gone forth into homelessness. What two? The pursuit of sensual happiness in sensual pleasures, which is low, vulgar, the way of worldlings, ignoble, unbeneficial, and the pursuit of self-mortification, which is painful, ignoble, unbeneficial. So note that here he's not condemning sensual pleasure, only the pursuit of it. Without veering toward either of these extremes, the Tathagata has awakened to the middle way, which gives rise to knowledge and leads to peace, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment, to Nibbana. So the middle way is also a fundamental principle in Buddhism. It represents not some tepid compromise or some neutral position, but rather it's understood here that the extreme of self-indulgence on the one hand and the extreme of self-mortification and asceticism on the other hand are not conducive to well-being on the spiritual path. The Buddha discovered this not through reflection but through lived experience. When his ascetic practices took him to the edge of death and offered no real wisdom, he abandoned them. He had already experienced the extremes of self-indulgence in his youth as the son of a king. He continues, And what, monks, is that middle way awakened to by the Tathagata? It is this noble eightfold path, that is, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. This monks is that middle way awakened to by the Tathagata, which gives rise to vision, which gives rise to knowledge, and leads to peace, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment, to Nibbana. Notice that he gives them the teaching about the path before he even begins to talk about the first noble truth, the truth of suffering. He begins with the fourth noble truth and then fills in behind it. The eightfold path is kind of like the executive summary. 
So the Four Noble Truths concern dukkha, the causes of dukkha, the cessation of dukkha, and the practice that leads to the cessation of dukkha. Dukkha is generally translated as suffering or distress. Gil Fronsdale points out, however, that dukkha in Pali is an adjective, meaning painful, stressful, or unpleasant. <clears throat> it actually has an opposite, sukha, meaning sweet or pleasant. Consequently, we should think of the four noble truths of the first noble truth a bit differently. The Buddha did point out in his definition of dukkha, birth is dukkha, sickness is dukkha, old age and death is our dukkha, and so on. When we say this means that birth, death, sickness, and old age are suffering, we make an equivalence that is totalizing. These life circumstances are many things, not just one thing, not solely suffering. Instead, though, we can say with some confidence that they are painful. This is what dukkha means. This changes everything about our understanding of these four noble truths. If we say that birth, death, sickness, and old age are suffering, the second noble truth makes no sense in that in that case, the origins of suffering are the origins of birth, death, sickness, and old age. And the third noble truth about the cessation of suffering then would imply that uh, the cessation of birth, death, sickness, and old age, which is patently false. The Buddha himself was born, got old, got sick, and died. And certainly we cannot eliminate birth, death, sickness, and old age through the noble eightfold path. This is a false equivalence. However, if we understand that what the Buddha is saying in the First Noble Truth is that birth, death, sickness, and old age are painful, the other Noble Truths make sense. The Second Noble Truth is the origin or causes and conditions that make something painful, notably our cravings, or in some versions of the teachings, our ignorance. The actual term used in the Pali original is tanha, which means thirst. Thirst is a naturally occurring response to a bodily need, and not a moral weakness as the term craving seems to imply. In the circumstance of birth, death, sickness, and age, <clears throat> craving seems to, uh, yeah, in the circumstances of birth, death, sickness, old age, and so on, we naturally long for things to be different. Otherwise, we would not describe them as painful. We can examine the causes and conditions of painful feelings we are experiencing, which may be many, the causes and conditions. Some, of our, um, some are out of our control. Some are a byproduct of inescapable reality. According to the teachings, our longing might take three forms, craving for sense pleasures, craving for existence, or craving for non-existence. Our longing for what is not is painful, and it is an ignoble refusal of reality. The good news is that we can realize the cessation of the painfulness of these experiences. That does not somehow magically eliminate birth, death, sickness, and old age. And that is why the fact that dukkha is an adjective and not a noun is so important. The painfulness we add to our ongoing situation through our thirst 
only makes our situation worse. And our capacity to cease this unnecessary painfulness should be great news. How is that accomplished? The Eightfold Path is the noble truth of the practice or way to the cessation of unnecessary suffering. Now this makes more sense because it is obvious that right view and right intention and the rest of the Eightfold Path cannot bring an end to birth, death, sickness, and old age. But cultivating those capacities can bring an end to the needless suffering that we create for ourselves and for others. So as we continue with the Buddha's teaching, I'm going to translate dukkha as painful. Here's what he says. And what monks is that middle way awakened to by the Tathagata? It is the noble eightfold path, that is, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. <clears throat> this monks is that middle way awakened to by the Tathagata which gives rise to vision, which gives rise to knowledge, and leads to peace, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment, to Nibbana. Now this, monks, is the noble truth of painfulness. Birth is painful, aging is painful, illness is painful, death is painful. Union with what is displeasing is painful. Separation from what is pleasing is painful. Not to get what, what one wants is painful. In brief, the five aggregates subject to clinging are painful. <clears throat> now this, monks, is the noble truth of the origin of painfulness. It is this craving that leads to renewed existence, accompanied by delight and lust, seeking delight here and there, that is, craving for sensual pleasures, craving for existence, craving for extermination. Now this, monks, is the noble truth of the cessation of painfulness. It is the remainderless fading away and cessation of that same craving, the giving up and relinquishing of it, freedom from it, non-attachment. <clears throat> now this, monks, is the noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of painfulness. It is this noble eightfold path, that is, right view, right concentration, and so on. This is the noble truth of painfulness. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. This noble truth of painfulness is to be fully understood. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me knowledge, vision, wisdom, penetration, and light. This noble truth of painfulness has been fully understood. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. This is the noble truth of the origin of painfulness. This, monks, thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. <clears throat> This noble truth of the origin of painfulness is to be abandoned. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. This noble truth of the origin of painfulness has been abandoned. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, 
knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. This is the noble truth of the cessation of painfulness. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. So you can see there's a kind of a pattern. The knowledge, the task, and the, the task has been accomplished. <clears throat> this noble truth of the cessation of painfulness is to be realized. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. This noble truth of the cessation of painfulness has been realized. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. Finally, fourth, this is the noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of painfulness. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. This noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of painfulness is to be developed. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. This noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of painfulness has been developed. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. So there are these three tasks associated with each of these four noble truths. In his teachings, the Buddha referred to the Eightfold Path both as a set of practices to train in and as the expression and description of fully enlightened beings. Because the very first one, right view, means the, un the full understanding of the Four Noble Truths, the whole teaching is a kind of fractal image. Looking at the Eightfold Path, we, can, we see these eight elements include the Four Noble Truths in every layer. And of course, the Four Noble Truths enfold and express the Eightfold Path. Gil Fransdale points out that the translation of this term satipada as path is a little problematic. While the term does mean way, it is not in the sense of path or road, but in the sense of the way you do something, the way you hold a tennis racket, the way you train a dog to stay. To imagine it as a path you follow, or perhaps the milestones on that path, is a misunderstanding. He feels it's better to think of it as a set of practices or a set of descriptions of an enlightened being. So we should try to understand this truth as the eight practices of the noble ones, the ones who are awake. Again, they are right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. The word right is a translation of the Pali term samma, which is of course not completely translatable in one word because of all of its connotations. It means complete, whole, aligned with reality, as well as carrying the connotation of right versus wrong. The Buddha definitely believed that there are wrong views, for example. He did not feel they were morally wrong, <clears throat> only that they were unbeneficial and did not lead to liberation. So nihilism, the idea that nothing exists, 
and essentialism, the idea of some permanent essence, were both wrong views to the Buddha, unproductive and leading to dead ends. It is like heading south when you want to travel to Chicago. It cannot lead you where you want to go. <clears throat> so in a sense, these uh, wrong views are unprofitable. So to recap, the four truths, the truth of painfulness, dukkha, birth is painful, aging is painful, illness is painful, death is painful, union with what is displeasing is painful, separation from what is pleasing is painful, not to get what, wants, what one wants is painful. In brief, the five aggregates subject to clinging are painful. So the five aggregates are the dimensions of human experience, form, sensation, perception, formations, and consciousness. So in a little bit, when we chant the Heart Sutra, you'll hear the Heart Sutra claim the emptiness of these aggregates. So there's nothing really to grasp onto. <clears throat> Second, the truth of the origin of painfulness is called Samudaya. It is this craving that leads to renewed existence accompanied by delight and lust, seeking delight here and there. That is, craving for sensual pleasures, craving for existence, craving for extermination. <clears throat> then, the third truth, the truth of the cessation of painfulness, which is Niroda, it is the remainderless fading away and cessation of that same craving, the giving up and relinquishing of it, freedom from it, non-attachment. <clears throat> David Brazier writes that the third noble truth should be translated differently. Tracing its etymology, he finds the root of the word as an earthen bank that contains something such as fire. So in The Feeling Buddha, he argues that the, this noble truth <clears throat> is about containing the energy that is aroused by suffering, all of the ways that we struggle against it, and that the transformation of that energy through containment leads to a life that is described by the Eightfold Path. But in the discourses of the Buddha, he uses many analogies for this third truth, and they are all about total cessation, such as the extinction of a candle, for example. He means the absolute extinction of painfulness without remainder, as he says. So fourth, the noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of painfulness, satipada, that is right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. So there are four tasks to be accomplished by the one who is noble. First, the noble truth of painfulness is to be fully understood. This isn't an intellectual kind of understanding. It's an embodied understanding. It's an impact that we feel throughout our whole being. The noble truth of the origin of painfulness is that craving is to be abandoned. That's the second noble truth and the second task, the abandoning of that craving and grasping. The noble truth of the cessation of painfulness is to be realized. Through abandoning that grasping, we realize not an intellectual conceptual realization, but an embodied realization. The noble truth of the practices leading to the cessation of painfulness is to be developed. 
or cultivated. So we cultivate that eightfold path as a means, as a set of practices for realizing the end of painfulness. Four truths and each has its task. How is it that the Brahma-viharas relate to these four noble truths? The practices of the Brahma-viharas are taught by the Buddha, taught, as taught by the Buddha, are to radiate benevolence in the ten directions, to radiate compassion, to radiate empathetic joy, and to radiate equanimity, just as the sun impartially and effortlessly radiates light and warmth. So a simple mapping is that the first noble truth of painfulness evokes our compassion, both for ourselves and for others. The second noble truth, recognizing the way we get caught in our craving, calls forth our kindness. The third noble truth, the cessation of painfulness both in ourselves and for others, naturally fosters empathetic joy. Finally, the Eightfold Path, the practices leading to the cessation of painfulness, establishes equanimity, providing a way to meet all the difficulties and uncertainty, both within us and in the world around us without making them more painful. We'll be discussing each of these conjunctions over the course of the uh, intensive in morning Dharma talks. In the evenings, we'll be sharing related Dharma activities in small groups using breakout rooms. It is very difficult in this format to hold the container of the intensive, but that is part of the practice itself. In these integrated intensives, we are bringing the teachings directly into our lives, just as they, are, as they are right now. But in truth, the Four Noble Truths and the Brahma Viharas fully permeate each other. When we gaze on the world from the place of kindness or benevolence, we cannot help but notice the pain that is constantly arising for all living beings, the First Noble Truth. This naturally gives rise to compassion our aspiration for the relief from that painfulness. So we inevitably concern ourselves with the causes and conditions that create painfulness, the second noble truth. When we clearly see the causes and conditions creating painfulness, we understand that painfulness can cease, the third noble truth. This realization is joyful, and that joy is empathetic joy because the painfulness that can be ended is not only our own, but others as well. We want to know what practices or methods can lead to this cessation of painfulness, and the Buddha has described them in the Eightfold Way, the Fourth Noble Truth. No doubt with enough attention and care, we would discover those eight factors for ourselves. We already have a kind of inner intuition about that. Knowing that there's a way to the end of painfulness steadies us and gives us equipoise, balance in meeting it. And this is the Brahma Vihara of equanimity. So this is the focus of our intensive. Each day we begin with Zazen, a short Dharma talk and service. After that, please engage mindfully with your ordinary day in the light of the teachings. In the evening, we return to continue our practice together. And in this way, we weave the teachings of the intensive and the teachings of our lives together. It is an unconventional format for an unconventional time. So it demands all of your 
self-management, and your willingness to engage these teachings. And then on Sunday, we will have a day of sitting that starts at 6.30 and ends at 2. And at 2.30, we will have our head student ceremony, which will be open to everyone, uh, 2.30. Um, and it will be on our regular uh, Zoom connection, which will be in the, uh, in the calendar. So you should now find the Zoom link for this intensive in the Appomattox calendar. So it should be easier to join us and, um, and let's uh, prepare for service. And if you do not have Appomata chants in front of you, please just listen. But you can find and print copies of the morning chants or the whole chant book on the website under study. So you can find uh, copies of the chants there. So please also know that Lori and I are available by email and uh, Lori will be offering practice discussion. We'll get some information to you about that, about her schedule too. So um, let's prepare for service.